The scripture reading for this message is in two parts. Part 1 is taken from the second chapter of Genesis, verses 18 through 23. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the cattle, and to the birds of the sky, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man, and brought her to the man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. The last part of our scripture text is taken from Genesis 4, verses 1 through 7. Now the man had relations with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And again she gave birth to his brother Abel. And Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So it came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, on his part, also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Would you turn to the second chapter of Genesis? And let me explain to you what we're going to do this morning. This is I'm going to do this service differently. Um, I go through a process in, in preaching. Um, it starts with a with a an idea that I believe to be from God that is very important for us to hear. And then I search the scriptures for a scripture that He would have us um, at least take off on. And then I spend hours in prayer just bathing myself in that scripture, just saying, Lord, tell me what you want said. And then after those hours of prayer, uh, in, during which God brings up the other scriptures that I need to use, I, uh, I spend hours of research in, in, in you know, the, all the academic kinds of things, the, 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 uh, uh, research documents, the commentaries, the, the research other people have done, go throughout the other disciplines, uh, sociology and history and psychology and so on and so forth, see what they have to say. And then uh, at that stage, it's more like a seminary lecture. And then the final stage is to try to phrase that in such a way, and usually it's in story form, that a fourth grader can understand it, but that it still challenges a Ph.D. who happens to have done research on that same passage. That's my goal. That's the sermon. Well, I got through the first four stages this week. <laughs> Didn't get to the final stage. So I really need for you to work with me on hearing 
what is more like a seminary lecture than it is a sermon. Okay? I ho- I'm going to leave out some of the fourth graders this, this service, and I'm sorry for that. I just did not have, and let me confess, I didn't have the energy to push it all the way to the end this week. So let me go through this with you, and I'm going to explain what are some very significant theological concepts. Traditionally, there are two types of preaching. There is a type of preaching that's called topical preaching, and that is that you get a topic, and you find what Scripture applies to that topic, and you try to bring the Bible to that topic. Then there is expositional preaching, which says you start with a passage, and you simply try to say what's in that passage, no matter what it says. There is a kind of preaching, though, that fascinates me that I have discovered called thematic preaching. And it is taking a theme that God has woven into the world and into Scripture. You see it in Scripture, and then you see it in the world. It's not a single topic. It's a theme that is all through the Scripture. And you bring that out. And that's what we're trying to do in this series. And that's what we'll be trying to do for years to come. Because I'm neither a topical nor an expositional preacher. I'm a thematic preacher. Now, come to the second chapter and let's see today's theme. Second chapter of Genesis, verse 18. Then the Lord said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And remember... It has been said that that word helper in Hebrew means one who answers, corresponding one, one who complements or makes uh, complete, one who fills a need. I will make a helper suitable for him. Skip down to verse 21 with me. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. Now, it's very interesting that in, in Arabia, in, in the Arab countries, the, there is still an idiom about a rib being a very intimate, close friend. Uh, if an Arab says, that he is my, it's not unlikely for him to say, he is my rib. You know? In other words, he is my very intimate friend. Um, Karl Barth had a fascinating statement. I think this is so interesting. He said, isn't it interesting that God had to rob man of himself in order to give man that which would fulfill him and complete him in harmony. Remember that. God had to rob the self, rob from the self, in order to complete the self. Now let me show you something. Why does God give us A life that is incomplete without significant intimate attachment to another person or to other people that God has given in our intimate circle. Because it is His character. God is not just singular. He is singular, but not just singular. He is also, listen, plural. Turn back to the first chapter of Genesis with me. Look in verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Who's us? Who's our? Who has the power of creation but God? No one. 
Turn to the 22nd chapter, or 22nd verse of the, of the third chapter. This is a passage we read last week. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. Who's us? One of the names given to God in the Old Testament is Elohim. Elohim is plural. Now, wait a minute. We worship one God. Why is it that a name would be plural? Who is us? Listen, the character of God is plural. God has more than one facet to his personality. He has more than one face. He is one. But he is more than one. God robbed man of himself to make him more than one. To make him complete as one by giving him more than himself. Because that's the character of God. And all through scripture, there is a character of completion by another because that's the nature of God himself. Now, let's talk a little bit about love here and what it means theologically. Now, I know there are some of you saying, oh, man, every time I walk into church, they talk about love. Yeah. You think you got it down? No, you don't. The, 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 the problems we hear every week, 95% of the problems we hear every week are relational problems. We haven't got it down. And I don't care how good we think, how much we think we've heard of it and how good we think we are at it, we aren't good at it yet. So we need to keep talking about it till we get good at it, right? I remember when Muhammad Ali, remember when his, in his days of bravado, you know, he was always getting on, you know, going off on people. It was a way of attracting attention and so on and so forth. And he got on a plane one time. I remember the story. You may have heard this story. And, uh, he's just sitting there and they were about to take off. And of course the flight attendants, be, before the takeoff, always goes back and checks for the seat belts. And he didn't have his on. And she said, sir, would you please buckle up your seat belt? He looked at her and he said, Superman don't need no seat belt. She looked at him and said, Superman don't need no airplane. <laughs> yeah. If you think you don't need love, what do you think you're doing here? You know, we're all on this airplane together. We all need to hear this. Now, here's what happens. In Scripture, God brings the other to the self, enough like the self, to relate, to fit, to complement, with an E, complement, to complete There is a niche that is missing that can only be filled by that other, but enough different from the self to be necessary. What happened to the original plan? Turn to chapter 4 with me. Now the man had relations with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. Now I don't know whether Cain was the typical first child or not. Always wanting to do everything to perfection. Real nervous about getting everything in order. It sounds like he had those characteristics. Let's uh, go on. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. And again, she gave birth to his brother Abel. 
And Abel was a keeper of the flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Now, I want you to stop right here and notice this with me. Here is this theme again. The theme of complementariness. The theme of fitting together. Cain was a tiller of the ground. Abel was a keeper of the flocks. Meat and taters. There you have it. If you, if you, went, if you went to Cain's house, and he was all isolated and alone, say, Cain, what are you having for supper tonight? What's the family having? And he'd say, taters. You know, go to Abel's house, or yeah, Abel's house, say, what are you guys having? Lamb. What we always have, lamb. What else? Nothing, just lamb. See how they fit together? There's the theme even in these brothers of complimenting one another, of giving each other in that family because it fits together. Now look what happens though. So it came about that in the course of time, Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground, and Abel on his part also brought the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his, for his offering, but for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Now the motion of that scripture, listen to this scripture poetically. Don't, don't, denotate this scripture to death. Listen to this scripture poetically. The countenance fell. Now what level is that countenance on now? It's on the earthly level. Watch what it says. Then the Lord said to Cain, trying to get his attention, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. And this desire is for you, but you must master it. Now look at what happens next. And Cain told Abel his brother. And it came about that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and killed him. Now look, I want you just to see the character of this scripture. It is very important to note that God was trying to get his attention back on himself. He went to Cain and he says, look, I've noticed, we've got to have a talk here. Who was that offering to? Who were you giving that to? Were you giving it in order of rank? Were you giving it so that you would do better than your brother? Were you giving it so that you could do the same as your brother? Or was that to me? Why is your countenance falling and why are you focusing on him? It was at that time that the Lord went out of the formula of the relationship. And Cain was only focusing on Abel. And God was trying to say, look up. If you do well, if you look at me, if you give to me, your countenance will be lifted up and you will be with me. But if you do not, you're going to stay on that same level. You're staying in that same house. Sin is at your door. You're going to be trapped down there. And you're going to have to be worrying about fighting sin instead of loving me. What was the result? The result he never looked up. He never looked up. He looked straight at his brother, kept it on this level. God was still out of the picture. So, the complementariness where God gives us somebody so that we can fill their need and they can fill our need and we're grateful to God because of it, all of a sudden becomes a competition where we're comparing ourselves to one another. Now, two things happen scripturally when we begin to compare ourselves to one another. We can go one of two ways. Now, this is very um, 
Esoteric. I'm getting hot. Can I take this off? I'm just, I'm getting all wound up here. I get excited about this stuff. This is as much like Benny Hinn as I get, guys. <laughs> Don't worry about a thing. I am so tempted, but I'm not going to. Here we are in the middle. I'm going to do another continuum for you, okay? Here we are in the middle. In the middle, we love each other by way of compliment. By way of looking at another person who is in the circle God has given us. And we say to ourselves, okay, why did God put us together? How can I give to them? in ways that only I can complete who they are and how can I receive from ways in ways that only they can complete who I am and how can we give glory to God because of that that completes the circle see now you go one of two ways you can go toward the male side which is the competition side or you can go toward the female side which is the merging side I want you to know that in the making of man and woman There is much more symbolism than just coming together in order to have children. It is the way people pervert love. And it is the issue with which we we miss the point. Now let me just start down this continuum. Just on the other side are two harmless little uh, variances of this. Let's start over here. Let's say that in order to be like each other, in order to, we're going toward the chameleon side now, in order to merge into each other, in order to be more like each other, we find affinity groups. Affinity groups are big now these days. I want to find somebody like I am so that we can bond because of our similarities. We have all kinds of recovery groups that are surrounded because of an addiction. Those are okay. And some of them even do try to go up to a higher power. And it's not very specific, but it's in the right direction. Okay? It's just a little variation from here. So, so, or some, you know, the, you know, my sons and I are going through this male thing right now. Where we're, you know, we're saying, it's like a man, isn't it? You know, and, you know, we give the good points and the bad points, but we're identifying with one another. That's not too bad. That kind of gives the, this thing here, see? Well, on this side, just a variation of that side is the word stereotype. We begin to categorize and we begin to push others out because they are not like us. This is the middle school mentality that most of us went through when we defined our identities by who we hated. Don't you just hate that? Oh, I hate that. You know? Then you'd find a friend because you both hated the same thing. Well, people, some people never grow out of that. And they group and they categorize and that is their bonding out of aggression. See? Uh, Turn to Matthew chapter 9 with me. Let me show you this. Matthew chapter 9. Let me show you an, an example. Verse 11. Well, verse 10. And it happened that he was reclining at the table... In the house, behold, many tax gatherers and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. 
And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with tax gatherers and sinners? See what they're saying? This is a category of people who we have no business dealing with. We're better than they are. If your teacher was for real, he'd be in our group. To which Jesus answered, listen to this, it is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. In other words, look at the word need. Need in there. Now, verse 13. Go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice. You know what? You can sacrifice alone, can't you? You can't do compassion alone. There's got to be more than one in there before compassion has any meaning or not. So what Jesus is saying is, I desire the complement, not the competition. Again, the last part of the sentence says, I did not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. I didn't come those for those who had no need, who had their own neat little category. I came for those who needed me, who I could give uniquely to as no other person could give, and who I needed because Jesus came not to be served, but to what? Serve. So there was a completion there. You see it? Okay, now let's go down the continuum a little bit more. Over here, we go from the bonding groups where we are similar to differences aren't important. We're all alike. Every uh, thing is relative. There are no absolutes. Okay? Now, politically speaking, this is where America is right now. Politically speaking, we will do anything to stay unified to the minimization of there are no differences in people group. We're all one big, happy country. And that's why we blind ourselves to the valid and sometimes irreconcilable differences there are. And instead of building a country that can live with irreconcilable differences, we try to pretend there aren't any. It's a world of illusion. This is why in the public sphere, religion is not allowed. Because why? Oh, we don't want to talk about the differences. And so therefore, everything is relative, and therefore, we won't mention the differences. Now, what is it over here? Over here, it's a whole realm of competition that says, listen to me, sucker, I'm right, you're wrong. And not only am I right and you're wrong, but if you don't say it like I say it, you're damned to eternal hell. Here is the fundamentalist church that can't live with any difference at all. Here is the cult that begins to exalt the self. Here is the Jehovah's Witnesses to say, if you believe like I believe, you can rule the world. Here is the Mormons to say, if you believe like I believe, you can become a god. Here is the fundamentalist church who says, if you believe like I believe, then we can know everybody but us is wrong. This was the Inquisition. This was historically where the fundamentalist Christians went out and said, you either accept Christ or we kill you. Didn't leave anything up to the Holy Spirit. It was all on the political force of man. You see which direction this is going? Now let's go all the way to the extreme. What would you call a religion that completely merged everything? 
that swallowed all individual uh, individuality up. You'd call it Eastern religion. This is nirvana. This is the extinguishment of the self. This is the, the, the female symbolism, the merging, the nurturing until there is no more separation, there is no more individuality. We've all kind of been swallowed up by that great nirvana. And we live in peace, see? Because we're all really just the same. And the outside that would contain us is broken off. Okay? What would you call this kind of religion? This is pure narcissism that projects the individual to be God, the idolatry of self. You see how far we've come from this spot? But do you see the two religious tendencies in this country that are a threat to Christianity? It is the cult that tries to deify the man and the Eastern religion that tries to swallow up the individuality. So if you understand the threat we have to what biblical love relationships are all about. Okay, now, (laughs) I told you there wasn't much time. You know the, the neat thing about this? Turn this to Ephesians 6. Let me show you something. In seminary, they give you an hour. Here, they don't. Although, I don't know whether we got any uncut versions. Last night, I, I preached for 45 minutes, and I still wasn't done. So I don't know whether we got some of those uncut versions back there or not. But uh, in Ephesians 6, there is a verse that is a summary of what God would have as far as our relationships go. Now, in Ephesians 5, he's talking to men and women about marriage. And he is saying to them, I want you to compliment one another. I want you to give to each other even as the the individual opposite you has need. Don't give in the way that you could give. Don't give saying, this is who I am, so this is what you get. Give in a way they have an opening They have a need for you. Husbands, love your wives. Because relationships mean something to women. Husbands, I'm sorry, wives, respect your husbands. You know, you wives spend all day saying, I love you, I just love you, I just love you. Like, Like that really means something to a man, and it should. But you know one thing he's, he's just waiting for you to hear? For, for, to hear from you? I really respect you. You know what that does inside a man? Holy cow, it makes him go like this. <laughs> really? Hmm? <laughs> See? <laughs> See how we can compliment by compliment? That's what that's where the man can hear something from a woman that he can't hear from anybody else. And the woman can hear something from a man, you know. It's not like, look, I told you once I love you, that ought to last. 
I'm really restraining myself here. I want you to appreciate this. I'm about to go off. Where was I? Oh, in the rest of this, it talks about children. Obey your parents. Parents, don't provoke your children. Uh-oh. Boy, that's tough, isn't it? I mean, because the natural thing we have to give is provocation. Listen, sucker, I'm the dad. You know? And the natural things that kids have to give us is aggravation. <laughs> so, <laughs> give them what they need. Parents need obedience. Children need understanding and respect. Okay. And then it talks about slaves and masters and so on and so forth. Now watch what it says in verse 7. Look at verse 7. It says this is not about people. Look. With goodwill, render service as to the Lord and not to men. Do you understand that any time you look at people, you are to see God? But also that every time you look at God, you are to see the implications for people. That's how God put us together. And so therefore, we can walk together when we have the character of God living in us. It doesn't come together until Jesus Christ is living in your heart. Because you know what? Unless you have God living in you, you can never love in the nature of God. You'll never put those two together. As a human, you can seek God. Or you can love people. But you will never know how to seek God by loving people until the God-man lives in your heart. One more story now, quick. i got to get one story. Even in a seminary lecture, I tell stories. This is about... And, and Reed tells me, tells me this is a movie. I never saw the movie. There's a story about the fourth wise man. Did you ever hear the story about the fourth wise man? Story written by Henry Van Dyke. And I'll tell you, tell you, tell it to you as quickly as I can. The fourth wise man was named Artaban. Now, of course, scripture tells us that the Magi came and gave three gifts to the Lord. Now, legend and story takes it from there. And they say that, uh, well, there were three wise men then, and they had even names them, you know, Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. Well, Henry Van Dyke writes this story that has a wonder, that's not historical, it's, it's, but it has a wonderful poetic validity to it. It's about Artaban, who could not get to the three wise men fast enough to go with them and find their way to Jesus. He knew that a king had been born. He knew that God had been born on earth. But because he got held up caring for an old man on the road, he couldn't make it in time for their departure. He had three gifts to give this God-man. One was a sapphire, one was a ruby, and one was a pearl. When he got to the place of departure, and they said, Come, come after us. He knew that he would have to sell one of those in order to get enough money to get a caravan to go with him, because you couldn't go, travel across the desert by yourself. So that's what he did. Now he only had two to give this God, this king. So by the time he gets to Bethlehem, there is 
a house that he goes to and the woman feeds him and, and is hospitable and she remembers that there was a child born here and there were three kings of Median who came and gave him gifts. But it all happened so fast and they departed for their land and, and the child and his family went to Egypt. And it's at that moment that Herod's men come rushing in and start to kill all of the baby boys under two. And this woman is so afraid because her son is under two. And Artaban goes to the door and stands in the door. And as the captain of the guard comes toward him, he reaches in his pocket and he pulls out the ruby. And he says, I've been waiting for a military leader wise enough to know there's no one in this house that you want. And the captain takes the ruby and the soldiers leave. And he has saved a child, but now he only has one gift for the Lord. He goes down and searches for years in Egypt for this king. Can't find him. But he does run into an old rabbi who says, If my reading of the scriptures is right, go look for this king in the land of Judah. But don't go toward those people who have no need of him. Only go toward those who are hurting and who are looking for someone to answer those hurts. And so for years and years and years, this now old king of Persia, this now old priest who has hungered all of his life for a personal relationship with God, searches. And one day he comes near to Jerusalem and there is terrible shouting and yelling. And he asks someone what's going on and this man looks at him and says, They've crucified him. <laughs> They've crucified that Jew who said he was a king. They crucified that man who claimed he was God. Artaban is thinking to himself, maybe I can get there fast enough to use this pearl as his ransom. Maybe they can take him down from the cross. I know that's him. Just as he thinks that, there is a girl who is being manhandled by her now owners. She recognizes him as a priest of Zoroaster, a priest of wisdom and purity, and throws herself at his feet and says, please, you have to purchase me or my life will be ruined. And he takes that pearl on the instinct of love and gives it and purchases her. But now he has nothing for the Lord. And now, at that moment, the crucifixion is complete. And you know from Matthew what happens. There's darkness that covers the land. You know from Matthew that there are horrible earthquakes. And so he takes the girl and he shelters her in his arms under the edge of a house. And a tile comes off the roof and strikes him in the head. And he lays dying. And as the girl bends over him, she hears him whisper words she does not understand. She hears him whisper but how could I have ministered to you? I never found you. And of course, what she doesn't know are the words of the Lord in Matthew 25. Inasmuch as you have done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Here's a story of a fourth wise man whose gifts did reach Jesus. They just reached him through the lives of people that he loved.
Now, let me ask you this before Pastor Dick comes and closes us. Some of you may be thinking in your life, number one, I am not able to love like that. I always get tied up in the in the lives of people and never know how the Lord fits. Or I never have the nature of the Lord in my love. Or I go to the Lord and I don't know what that has to do with my relationships. I want Jesus to come in and show me how to combine those two. I want to be incarnate. Some of you just need to get rid of some baggage because you've been in competition with some people who have been close to you. And you need to pray about that. You need to confess it. You need another Christian to stand with you. Let me, even though it's late, invite those of you who want to pray with someone to come forward. And I'll be up here and Dick will be up here and maybe a couple other uh, uh, Christians can just stand up here. And if we're standing up here, just ask us to pray with you. If you want the Lord to come in to your heart and save you, ask us. We'll teach you how to pray, and you can do that today. But if you want to confess, and you want Jesus to be both the object and the initiator of your love, we want to pray with you about that too.